year of Duke and Rogue. I'm your host, Duke Bags. And I am Kevin Rogue. He is Kevin, Kevin Rogue. Rogue. Kevin and- Rogue. <laughs> you done? <laughs> Kevin Rogue. All right, let's go, All Kevin right. Rogue. We're on episode number five today. Today we're covering the 7th Royal Rumble, which took place on January 22nd, 1994. Coming to you live from Providence, Rhode Island. And this one was a doozy. A doozy is one way to put it. It is one way to put it. They went to Rhode Island. You don't hear a lot of Rhode Island events. It's up in that East Coast sector, but you don't hear, like, what the hell happens in Rhode Island? That's so cool. Uh, I think it was the the first state, maybe. Rhode Island was the first state. Well, it's the smallest state. I know that, but that sounds right. That sounds more accurate. The first state sounds like you're making shit up. I was thinking about that because when they, when they did the whole introduction and the the intro video wasn't very good. Like I love the old intro videos, but this one was kind of lacking for sure. And then they're like, you know, live from was the was Providence Civic Center or something to that effect. I'm thinking, and yeah. it was in Rhode Island. And I was like, God damn, why couldn't they just went to the Metrodome? Why did they go to the Rhode Island? Like nothing, nothing comes to our state. We get, we get like a house show on the road to WrestleMania and they get the Royal rumble. I mean, at this time, I don't think Vince was a billionaire and, you know, travel expenses, you keep it close to home. You know, yeah, Rhode, okay, I- that- Rhode Island's probably about, you know, 15 minutes from, Connecticut. Greenwich. Or where, where are they from? Samford? Stam, right. Stamford. Stamford. Yeah, Stamford. We got Vince McMahon and Ted DiBiase, the commentary team. It's the first time I've seen this combo. And this is, I think, the this is our fifth episode and our fourth different combination of commentators. <laughs> Yeah, and it was really funny, too, because when they Vince is out there and he's doing his regular plug, you're going to see these guys and these guys fight, and there's going to be championship opportunities and titles on the line. And then the music hits, and he acts shocked that it's Ted DiBiase coming out. And when he comes out, did you notice that he is, you know, Ted DiBiase is like his entrance attire. He's got his suit coat kind of a thing. He's got his little tie. He's got his, like, tearaway pants. He's wearing that because at one point you can kind of see the little like the, the the separation between his coat and that little weird. I think it's called maybe it's called a dicky. And you can see that's what he's wearing, and he's wearing his fucking wrestling boots. Huh. He should have probably been a surprise participant. I thought about it because then you also had Macho wore his wrestling boots when he was doing commentary. He did. Jerry the King wears his wrestling. Well, he used to wear his wrestling boots while he's doing commentary. That's true. That's At true. At one point, do you just give it up and be like, put on your regular stuff, put on your slacks, go to work. Dress for the, well, dress for the job you want, right? So maybe he wanted to get back in the ring. Right. Figured it out. Figured it out. That makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. Well, DiBiase, he is the, he's got the best laugh in the business for sure. Which you have we, a Ted DiBiase impression? Do you do a DiBiase impression? <laughs> <laughs> that was all miserable. I got. All right, yeah, keep going. <laughs> you got one? 
No, I don't got one. I thought, be, I thought it'd be funny if you had one, but right. you don't. Oh, <laughs> no, impressions isn't my bag, man. No, man. Especially DiBiase. It's very, it's very, you know it's Ted, Ted DiBiase for sure when you hear it. And you hear an awful lot of it. Yeah, you do. That's for sure. Speaking of Ted DiBiase and kind of things to come, the first match here is Bam Bam Bigelow versus Tatanka. And both of these guys would shortly be members of Ted DiBiase's evil million-dollar corporation. And these guys actually put on uh, quite a good match, I thought. You thought it was quite a good match, huh? Yeah, yeah, I threw it quite in there. Okay. I mean, you know, tell me about it, stud. For, well, you know, for a couple of big lugs, they, uh, they, they're both pretty agile. See some top rope theatrics. You also see yep. a, lot of, a lot of power moves out of them. Yep. So just a really good. I don't know. I, think, I thought it was a really well kind of balanced match. Like both, both these guys are, you know, pr- pretty strong members of the roster at this at this point, but I don't think either of them ever really held the championship or anything. No, I think Bam Bam probably had to take team gold. Saka might have too. I don't, I don't remember for sure. Bam came out of the corner to begin it, charging like a goddamn bull, and Tataka just side- sidestepped him. That's all he did. He just sidestepped him. It was like he was on a, he was on a, what do they call it, a beeline, just to crush Tataka. And he did. He just did a simple... Step to the right, and bam, just crushed that corner post. And it was kind of off to the races from there. There wasn't a lot of slowing down. There's a couple spots, obviously, you get stuck in a in an arm arm bar or wrist lock, wrist watch, that kind of a thing. But it was a pretty it was a pretty high intensity match for for the two of them. Obviously, bam, bam does a lot of good things. There was that. Jumping, uh, the jumping sunset flip from the top that you love. That's one of your favorite moves. Yep, yep. We saw it again. Yeah, so I, I thought you'd be pretty horny about that. So that was awesome. And then we also saw when Bam Bam threw the, he threw like this jumping kick. And he used to throw kind of like an Enzigiri kick, almost like the bad, was it Bad News Brown's ghetto blaster kick? Yeah. It looked like he was trying to throw that. But somebody pulled the rug from underneath him, and he just took a back bump. Like he just jumped through his legs up and took a back bump. That was that was a little filthy. I thought that was a little filthy. Favorite spot in the match? You have a favorite spot in this match? Uh, I do have a favorite spot in this match. Uh, what is it? it? Both guys go for the 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 splash off the ropes. Yeah, that was my favorite spot. I got to start right next to it. The double cross body attempt. Yep. That is such a cool, I always like that. No matter what, I double cross body. It just, it's a collision. It always looks good. That was my favorite spot in the match too. I was wondering if, if you would have wrote that down as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that takes the cake there for sure. Yeah. I did like the ending too. Um, with, you know, Bigelow goes for the reverse moonsault. He misses and then. Tatanka. The reverse moonsault. <laughs> it's not a reverse moonsault. It's moon a reverse moonsault in 1994's WWF, man. <laughs> yeah. Not when, J- when JR is not on commentary. It's just a moonsault. I think they called it, maybe call it a bam salt, huh? Bam salt? Okay. That works. <laughs> or a big assault. So I think this is the first time that I've seen Luna Vachon, uh the main squeeze, accompanying Bigelow. It, 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 she showed up with Bigelow before this, or? 
I want to say, yeah, I mean, obviously on like uh, Monday Night Raw and such. What was our last event? Was yeah, it was the Survivor Series. She was with she was with Bam at the Survivor Series. Oh, well, that was that was way back in November. So, a lot, a lot of shits happened since then. You thought yeah. maybe they split? Yeah, yeah. She, when, didn't really, she didn't really have a role in this match. She just hung out and looked crazy. But what what she does the best? That is kind of her role in this match. Tatanka did his hulking up or his tatanking up. He started doing that, and Bam hit him, and Tatanka was still doing it. He's trotting around, and then Bam hit him again, and Tatanka's still trotting around, and every time Bam hits him, he kind of throws his arms up like, what the fuck? And then, and then he finally just goes ahead and kicks him in the back of the head and puts Tatanka down. I, I thought that was, that was beautiful, and that's when, obviously, uh, at that point, Bam goes up and does his, his reverse moon sauce. <laughs> Misses and then Tatanka gets that top road slash for the win. It was a pretty well worked match. I it's hard to remember a time when Bigelow wasn't good. Like even towards the end of his career, his matches always kind of worked. He had his own style, and he obviously had the he had the speed for a big man, and he had the agility for a big man. And obviously, there's spots in in, in matches that I've seen of his that are a little bit rougher, but he's always a pretty damn good match. So that was, and Tatanka, I think is, I think Tatanka's probably underrated. Part of that is the era in which he wrestled. But these two together, I thought worked pretty well for the, for the match that had. I think it was only like maybe six, seven minutes. But that was a pretty good match. Yeah, I thought so too. The, there's something I'm going to cut right there. The long these, mm. <laughs> Lots of them. But, yeah, the uh, I got a kick out of when, uh, like you just mentioned, Bam Bam made him in the back, kicked him in the back of the head, and then he he did his own Tatanka little dance, taunting. <laughs> he did do a taunt dance, so a Tantanka dance. Uh, yep. So, yeah, it was, it was a good match. Great way to start off the show. Yeah, next, absolutely. Next, next up, we got one of the main attractions in which uh, we got Brett Owen Hart taking on the Quebecers. For the tag team championship, we get a flashback to the, you know, the basically Eclipse sent Survivor Series when Owen was the only member of the Hart team eliminated. He was all pissed about that. He wanted to take on the Hitman. Hitman wouldn't do it. Never under any circumstance would he ever. Absolutely. <laughs> Never. By his brother, it's out of the question. Yep. <laughs> and then. You know, sure enough, over the holidays, they kissed and made up, and now we got a tag team. <laughs> they kissed and made You got smooching brothers? <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> In that whole video package, there was two things that, that caught me. When he when Vince was talking to Owen, and they, did that little, that they showed the spot from Superstars, He's wearing a Dockers <laughs> button-up shirt. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I, I started laughing at that. Like, Owen's wearing Dockers for whatever reason. I, I started laughing about that. And then, obviously, the promo that they cut right before the match where Brett's saying, you know, obviously, I, I'm glad I didn't want to fight my brother. This was tearing us apart. You know, I didn't want to find out, you know, who would win and all that other stuff. And Owen, Owen says, I said a lot of things. It doesn't matter if they were true <laughs> He does a really good, he does a really, really good promo of being 
like partial heel but still face. It was it was really interesting the way that he did it too. And when he's he's had the, the Brett's going to be strapped to the back of the rocket and the rocket's going to be leading away. And it was it was a really I really laughed a lot. Got a kick out of that entire that entire promo. That was really good. That was, yeah. that was, that was pretty funny about about you know basically painting the picture of Brett riding his coattails coattails to success. <laughs> and I think Ted DiBiase calls him the Shadow. Everybody's calling him the Shadow. I think the Shadow is a pretty sweet moniker. Like I think, like maybe not Owen the Shadow Heart, but if you if his name had some other type of a flow to it, Stan Hart, the Shadow Sean Hart, Sean the Shadow Hart, Shadow Sean Hart. It's got a little more of a ring to it, right? So maybe not Owen. It doesn't work for Owen, but the Shadow is not a bad. It's not a bad gimmick. So there's probably something you can do with the shadow. Yeah, shadow's a good word. Yeah. You know, it's got it's got that it factor to it. It kind of it, it implies darkness, right? Right. Right. Yeah. See, there's there's something there. Somebody could be the shadow. The shadow's probably out there. So I bet there's somebody out there using the shadow right now as part of their their gimmick. Right. Right. They'd be they'd be stupid not to really. If there is somebody out there and they happen to listen to this and they are an indie wrestler and they do go by the shadow, I need to meet you. <laughs> I want to know more about you. <laughs> it's an intriguing moniker, that's for sure. <laughs> it is. It is. So we so get the we get the Quebecers and the, the hearts and the Quebecers come down first. Did you happen to pay attention to the music? I hope you did. It was it was the Mounties, right? It was the fucking Mounties music, yeah. So I looked it up because I was like, well, maybe I'm an idiot and maybe Quebecer and Mountie mean the same thing. No, they don't. They don't mean the same thing. I guess they got uh, they got trouble for in Canada or something for using the the Mountie moniker. Okay. Did you hear anything but, about this? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I guess I could have done a little little bit more research and found out about this, but I didn't realize that. Yeah, I guess the, I guess the Canadians don't take kindly to their, you know, their law enforcement officers being villainous. Okay. So. So there. I've never met a Mountie, but everything that I hear about Canada is is wonderful. So I can only imagine that they're great people as well. Right. It's like. It's like Sergeant Slaughter being an Iraqi sympathizer, you know. In America, we don't we don't dig that. Okay. Yeah, I, I understand it. But they still use the music. They did use the music. Yeah. Not a very catchy tune, the Mounties theme song. No. Was it the, the exact same theme song, or did they, they make it the Mounties? It, they made it the Mounties, and both of them sang in it, and it's both of them are off key, and it is it is hilarious. <laughs> it is absolutely hilarious if you get the chance to listen to it. It's it's very funny, but instead of just being the I'm the Mountie, it's the it's, we're the Mounties. It's it, but it's the same fucking song. So I always get our man. We always get our man. It's that's all they did to it. It's a gang of Mounties getting the men. <laughs> yeah, gang of mountain, mounties, mountain men. 
So this may be the first and only time that four Canadians competed for the tag team championship. I, I, I don't know enough to counterpoint you. You might be right, but you could be wrong. Well, we got we got Johnny Polo in there. You know, he's an American, as far as I know. But you know, yeah, I think he was, he's from the West Coast. Did Johnny Polo ever wrestle in the in the Federation? You're damn right he did. Before he was Raven? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it was on one of the... I was watching some Monday Night Raws from this era, and it was on, I think, the next Monday Night Raw that was in the queue, but I fell asleep. So I maybe he didn't. Maybe the match fell apart and never took place, but as far as I know, there was at least one. I don't remember a lot about him as Johnny Polo in the ring, though. Yeah, it's this uh, this match is really a showcase for both the hearts. Um, they're both, you know, top notch, technical, aerial, you know, excellence of execution, the whole bit. Uh, really, really a cool moment for you know Owen to shine here on the big stage. And yeah, Brett either or not Brett Vince even makes mention that he, he thinks that we'll see the greatest tag team duo in the history of the business. He says that the before the match takes off, which only one question came to my mind at that point What's was that? has Vince has Vince seen the heavenly bodies work? You know, he wasn't on the team either of the shows that the bodies uh, participated in this season. Right. So I might give him a pass on that statement, but I would have loved to have seen the heavenly bodies in this match. Might have been a better match. It would have been a bet. Would have been the best match on the card. The the heel face dynamic with the with the commentary team is just it's. I mean, Viz gets the job done, but he's kind of guilty of a lot of like forced storytelling when he puts himself in the booth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it does make for some pretty funny commentary if you take it at you know face value. Uh, this. Uh, the the first the first instance of this that that really caught my attention was when one of the Quebecers was going for a tag, and Vince is give me a break. <laughs> he's, he's making a tag, so DiBiase says that's why it's called the tag team match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it was just everything the Quebecers did was just you know just dastardly and just evil and shortcuts and you know everything the hearts did was you know the greatest most right. morally sound wrestling right thing they could do, yeah you know? yeah i could see that i don't so when jacques came in the ring the first time he was he was very complimentary of owen hart when he got in the ring like he gave him the thumb he pointed at him, gave him the thumbs up he, he clapped for him and then he pointed at brett and gave brett the thumbs down did you catch that whole exchange? I miss that. Yeah, and I was going, boy, that's that's pretty good of him. That that is that is a very nice gesture of Jacques Rougeau, uh, befitting a man that could be a Mountie, maybe. <laughs> it's a respectful gesture for sure. I mean. To Owen, but uh, so he gives Brett the thumbs down. Yeah, he comes in, and, and I think Owen Owen did some type of 
you know, Owen type counter move and, and Jock just kind of took a step back and kind of applauded him, gave him the good job, buddy boy. And then he, he gave him the thumbs up and he pointed to the crowd and he pointed to Owen and said, all right, here's a, here's a real competitor. And then he pointed to Brett and gave Brett the thumbs down. Mm. Well, the, the, you know, say what you want about the Mounties. They always get their man. They always get their man. And in this match, their man was Bret Hart. Their man was Bret Hart. <laughs> um, both teams, uh, there's really good teamwork by both teams in this match. I, I thought it was pretty funny, the, the moral support that, you know, Johnny Polo is really trying to earn his, earn his keep with his, with his guys, provide that moral support on the outside. You know, with his he's got hugs. A hell of a smile. Yeah. yeah. A lot of hugs. He's got, a, he's got a hell of a smile, too. He's always very happy. How can yeah. you do that, man? And, uh, you know, early on in the match, uh, we kind of see a foreshadowing to what happens at the end of the match when uh, the hitman's really taking an ass kicking and he's not making a tag, taking forever to make a tag. Well, he finally does make the tag, and we really get a really get a display of some unique types of maneuvers from uh from Owen Hart that you know the kind of stuff you know you didn't really see um too often you know like uh he did a drop kick where he kicked one of the Quebecers each with one of his feet which was cool yeah yeah he did and then Ted DiBiase goes lucky shot (laughs) (laughs) and then he, he converted an arm drag into a pin attempt which I hadn't seen before Oh yeah, that was very cool. I had seen it before, but he made it look very, very good. It was, uh, boy, what was it? It was a sent it off the, the ropes there and into a. It wasn't an arm drag. It was a. It was like a hip toss type thing. Yeah, hip toss yeah. exactly. It was a hip toss into like a body. Like he kind of went over with him, landed on top of him for the for the pin attempt. I thought it looked great. It sure did. It sure did. The the Quebecers get the upper hand. There's a lot of a lot of double teaming in this match. The referee didn't have much control over it in general, but they they had a pretty sweet. Uh, what would you call it? Uh, I just got they launched they launched him up in a, a clothesline on the. I, I, we'll have to edit this part. <laughs> He <laughs> does, you know. They do the three D bit, but they they just plunge him on the top rope. Oh yeah, it, they do. It was kind of like a double team hangman. Oh, there you go, the hangman. Yeah, that was a cool move. Yeah, <laughs> hangman's always a cool move. You just you just bring your opponent up and just fucking let him out to dry on the top rope. <laughs> so Owen's uh, Owen took the hangman and. He's he's out of commission, and at this time, Brett's taking on both the Quebecers simultaneously. He he's getting the best of them too. He was going back and forth. Tim White isn't counting either, like anything though. At that point, at that point, he's not counting either one of the Quebecers, and Brett Hart's going back and forth, and really, he's kicking some ass. Right, he has the upper hand for a while. What about the fucking rules? <laughs> he's got to get one of those guys out of the ring. One of them's got to be out. You know, part of me in in kind of reviewing this match, how it goes, I guess that type of behavior by the ref is 
it is kind of excused because if if he were to DQ the Quebecers or if you know he were to count out anybody, you know the Hearts won't get the championship. So he's kind of throwing them a bone, I suppose. Okay, Tim White's White's throwing them a bone. I mean, that's that's okay, I guess. It does fall. It fall. It falls completely apart, though. It completely the fuck apart. It does. So Brett gets knocked off the apron, nails his knee on the on the guardrail, and he's injured. Well, he go he goes he goes off the ropes. Is what happens there. He kind of gets he goes to go off the ropes, and Johnny Polo pulls the middle rope. Right, right. And Hart goes through the middle rope. But if you watch that sequence, what, not in slow motion, but keep a keen eye to it, I don't think Johnny Polo was ready to pull the rope down. And Brett kind of takes a stutter step and then goes through <laughs> and lands on the lands on the outside. And that's where this match completely fucking lost me. <laughs> that was <laughs> this bullshit outside, man. It was this international waters situation where anything goes outside and it didn't like there was. It didn't seem like they were communicating at all on the outside because then he was it. Uh, I know it, it's like it's Pierre. Pierre goes off the steps and gives a giant ass to the heart <laughs> leg, and and then Hart kind of kicks him off of him, and they're like, they're just not like communicating at all. And at one point, Owen's standing on the apron, and he kicks he kicks Pierre in the head, and then Pierre just takes a bump out of nowhere, <laughs> like like he just got demolished in the top of the head. The whole thing falls the fuck apart, and I was jumping in the ring and out of the ring and in the ring because so he's got to stop the count. Because Tim White, I guess, is cut. Tim White never counts shit. It was miserable. <laughs> this, this, this whole being outside completely lost me. That at one point, uh, who is it? I think it is Jacques picks up the plastic chair, and he takes that plastic chair to hit Brett with it, and Tim White's watching it happen. <laughs> And Owen runs over to flip him around, but he watches him hit him with the fucking plastic chair. And, and then he goes and grabs those at Johnny Polo's mallets, and he's kind of trying to hide it. And then he runs around to the other, he goes all the way around the ring. And at this point, they've been outside the ring for what, probably a minute and a half, two minutes. Everybody least, should be counted yeah. out. Everything, the whole thing should be over. And then finally, Owen picks Brett up. And throws him into the ring. Now, Owen picks Brett up and throws him in the ring. Now, mind you, when this very first happened, both the Quebecers together couldn't pick Brett up and throw him in the ring. The, the, the whole, that whole sequence of outside events, just, it, it just, it really, yeah. It was kind of tough to watch. Yeah, and, of course, yeah it was. And, and and there's no payoff. There's no resolution. You know, <laughs> referee finally just just calls for the bell. Yeah, because Brett goes for the Brett ends up going for the sharpshooter, and he can't. He just kind of falls. He just collapses, and that's that's when Tim White says, "There's the final straw." I mean, there was some good. There were some good moments after they got back in the ring. I think Pierre had a. A half crab on Brett, and then he also came off the he came up the second rope with the leg drop to the the back of the head. It was a, I mean, it was a nice looking leg drop. Mm-hmm. The Quebecers were pretty. Uh, I liked them as a tag team. This match just just fucking fell apart, though. It's it seemed like it was kind of by design, but it was that was the finish. I'm sure. But yeah, it, very much a shit show. 
at the end. There. Vince McMahon says that there's there's hooliganism going on. And I thought I could have swore he made that shit up. I looked up hooliganism is a real word. It's a thing. But, yeah, I didn't think so at all. He said that and I said, I who are you, who are you trying to get Vince hooliganism? That's just that's a, a football term, I think. Well, a hooligan, yeah, but it's it's I'm not gonna look it up again. We'll just say it's it's a real thing. I'm surprised that he didn't utter a melee. Well, that that, that was, was a, a perfect instance. Yeah, that's a great instance to say melee. That is a melee involving hooliganism. So at the end of the day, all Brett had to do was tag. <laughs> yeah. Owen was fresh on the apron. All he had to do was make the tag. I mean, what, what's the fucking deal with this guy? <laughs> that's what DiBiase says it in the match, too. He's like, he's just got to make the tag. He's on one leg. He's in a half crab. <laughs> DiBiase is like, he's just got to make the tag. I don't get it. What's what's so fucking hard about this? He's selfish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, he did go for the search of the sharpshooter when he should have went for the tag. That, that part, yes. But when he's outside <laughs> getting hit by a plastic chair, he can't make the tag. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, that's that's what I think. That's the aftermath of this match is what everybody remembers about this match. If you were to point out different things within the match itself, I don't think a lot of people remember like the plastic chair and Pierre taking a weird bump on the outside when Owen kicks him from the apron. Everybody remembers the aftermath of this match. Yes, when we get Owen kicking Brett's leg out of his leg. I am right out of the way. It's, it's so good. It's so good. This might be the highlight of the show, really. The, the Owen Hart heel turn was very, very well done. And Yeah. And yeah, it's slow burning, especially when you look at the way that it, the whole arc of the story, uh, it was slow burning. And that was one thing that I thought about while I was watching it, because if you figure this started probably... I mean, prior to Survivor Series, uh, I don't remember exactly when you would you would say that this this whole thing, this whole story started. But for it to go all the way through into the Royal Rumble, they probably gave it like four four months, five months, I'm guessing, worth the time. And that's every superstars, every Raw, the pay per views. It was a really good story. It was it was really well done. It was really thought out. And then Owen got to kick the leg out of the leg. That was one of my, my, it's probably my favorite Owen promo of all time, just because he says everything he says in it, he says with such conviction, mm-hmm. even though not everything that he's saying makes sense. Like on the way back, on the way out of the ring, he's looking at the camera and he calls, he just. Calls Brett, he's too damn shellfish. I love when he called him a shellfish. I thought it was hilarious. And then Jacques Rougeau gets in the ring like he's going to interview Bret Hart. Yeah, his, I, made, I made a star next to that. It's like, what the fuck yeah. is he doing? With uh, his like Bret Hart's legs in a million pieces, he's surrounded by like seven guys, including Pat Patterson and some full awesome looking suit and some sweet sneaks again. And Pat Patterson goes, now it's not the time. Go away. <laughs> Rougeau's in there. I mean, he's trying his best to, you know, get the inside scoop, you know, but this, this just happened, you know, is it fractured? Is it, is it, what's the deal with Brett's leg? You know, the fuckers hurt, man. Leave him alone. 
what's the deal with Brett's? It's like if it's like if there was a reporter on the scene as a car accident happened. <laughs> like, what happened? Uh, what, yeah, what, what happened? What's hey, what's what's the deal with the people inside? <laughs> Anybody dead? Yeah, <laughs> Pat was right. Now was not. Now was not the time at all. I loved. I loved the whole sequence afterwards. Obviously, they get Brett on the the damn stretcher and they're pushing Brett back, and they put Owen up on the monitors, mm-hmm. and it's like he's just staring right through Brett and. Todd Pettengill looking great too, by the way. Todd Pettengill had a sweet suit on. He is looking and like sharp. an old tie. He was looking great. And Todd Pettengill says something to the effect of like in front of your family, and then Owen responds by saying, "I don't care about anybody. I was concerned for myself and my whole family." <laughs> like it was in one sentence, "I don't care about anybody. I was concerned about myself and my whole family." <laughs> uh, and we get obviously the. the Kicks the that's why and that's why I kicked your leg out of your leg, which is, I mean, for fans, for fans of wrestling at that time and fans of Owen Hart specifically, I mean, kicking the leg out of the leg is something that even between you and I and our you know in our years of friendship, that's something that we can always go back to and it, it always it's always something that we both know like it's good when we're playing wrestling games. Kick the leg out of the leg. We're watching UFC fights. Kick the leg out of the leg. You walk by me, I try and trip you. Kick the leg out of the leg. Like it has been part of our life. It's part of the the zeitgeist or whatever they call that thing. Yeah, it's been kicking the leg out of the leg has been in our life <laughs> since it happened, and it will be in our life until we die. <laughs> <laughs> There's only a few of those moments, and that's one of them. That kicking the leg out of the leg is always will always be with us, and I'm very happy that it is. And, meanwhile, DiBiase's just laughing his ass off this whole time, and you know he he really he really does a good job of you know he's a he's a he's a completely different sort of color guy than Heenan, but he. He still does pull off the the you know the heel roll pretty well. I mean, he's the million dollar man. Um, I don't particularly the, for this next match, this Intercontinental Championship match, we get Monsoon and Jr. And I kind of wish that they would have kept that team for the rest of the show because I like listening to that team better. Uh, Monsoon and Jr. You're speaking of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was interesting. I don't know how many shows. Uh, DiBiase and McMahon did together. I not, just, I, I, it's not the not, worst team, but it's you know McMahon. He just McMahon just can't can control himself <laughs> a lot of the time. You know? Yeah, and I think for as good as DiBiase was on the mic to do promo work and stuff stuff of that nature, he doesn't really work for me on color, uh, and it, certainly not with Vince. And the more the more I hear Vince. And I, I'm a Vince guy. I'm not a, I'm not an anti-Vincer like so many are out there. I don't care for his commentary. And him and DiBiase together don't really mesh very well. And DiBiase isn't, he's a, not a one-line guy. Like his one lines that he does pitch, there's no like heel, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no heel humor to them. Uh, for instance, I think at one point, 
in the in the Quebecers Heart match, essentially his comeback or his his counterpoint was that's not the way I saw it. Not it doesn't you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't yeah, really doesn't. give me anything. Yeah. I, I don't it's I mean just I don't want to really shit on you know the Hall of Famer who is Ted DiBiase, but I, in this in this role I didn't much care for him. But then you did we did get we got Gorilla and Jr. Which Jr. Having them come out for one match on these cards, it, it's it's refreshing. It's a breath of fresh air, and it always reminds you how great Gorilla is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, they did the same thing at the Survivor Series, I believe. That was for that was for your favorite match and candidate for match of the decade. Yeah, yeah, the bodies and the, the, bodies the rock and, and roll. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I so they they didn't really they didn't last time they did the introduction like they did the switch, or you know they're going to get the guys from Radio WWF in to call this match. This time we don't get it. They just kind of go right into the right into the match, and you have IRS coming down the ring. No real music again. Did you notice that? Like it sounded like maybe there was a not a cash register, but there was something in the background, but no real music. Yeah, there and was, wasn't really a theme song. No. Yeah, and he says for all the all, look at all the tax cheats in Rhode Island showed up at one place, and then he suggests everybody pays their taxes, or the IRS will kick the door down in the middle of the night. The fucking IRS doesn't kick anybody's door down in the middle of the night, right? They don't. They don't bust into places like the 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 DEA, right? That's not a real thing. It's never happened to me. I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it happening to you know friends or colleagues, right? And I just I can't imagine in any situation where an IRS what would they be called agents? They'd call agents. I think they're agents. Yeah. Yeah, they're not kicking anybody's door in ever not gonna happen i they can garnish your wages yep but yep. i don't think they have the authority to kick in the door right but garnishing the wages takes place during normal business hours not the middle of the night you don't got to kick a door down to do it shyster is running a pretty shady operation i think <laughs> you think that's what it is if, if IRS, I think, is was, I think he was a rogue IRS agent. <laughs> well, then I'm 100 percent for him. He's, he's like the repo <laughs> man, you know. I don't know if the repo man ever actually worked for anybody. <laughs> it seemed like he was a freelancing uh, repossessor of goods. Right, know? but I think repo men are independent contractors, anyways, so they just work for themselves. That's true. Like bounty hunters, whereas IRS, those are part of the, you know, they're part of the service. I think. Well. He could have been a uh, an accountant. Could have been. He's dressed like it. He is. Carries around a briefcase. Yeah, and then we get Razor. Razor comes down. First, your first thoughts when you saw Razor walking down the aisle on this event. Did you have a first thought? Well, he's wearing the bright blue. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Disgusting. <laughs> That baby blue was just atrocious. It fan, looked, huh? Oh, it looked it looked like hell. So that was the first thing I noticed. Yep, that was <laughs> that was that was my first note on Razor. 
I just said I don't like Razor and Baby Blue. Other than that, he was looking pretty good though. Scott Alls in the prime of his prime of his powers at this time. He took a couple of bumps that I don't believe he ever took again. In this match. <laughs> he just took over this match and not never fucking doing that again. <laughs> There's one point where Shyster sort of threw him off the rope and then caught him and then threw him over the top rope. Yeah. And he just takes just this high flying Shawn Michaels like spill to the to the the floor. Yeah. Never seen that before. I was impressed. Yeah, I don't remember him taking that at any other point either off the top of my head. So you you might be right there. I'm probably right. You're probably right. There was a spot in this match which I hope that I hope you wrote it down because I think it's your least favorite spot in wrestling. And Erwin Ir- made it made it a little bit something different for you. Do you remember the spot? You're talking about the elbow? I'm talking about the elbow. <laughs> We're on the same page here. Yeah, we are. Yeah, that was, that, was, <laughs> that was the next thing I wrote down, actually. Yep, I figured it would be. <laughs> so IRS goes off the top rope um, for a nothing, you know, typical <laughs> good guy puts the boot up. <laughs> IRS being a smart man, wears glasses <laughs> after all. He, he decides not to plant his face into the boot, and he he lands on his feet, drops an elbow. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> it was very smart. It was very smart. But when I was watching it, as soon as that happened, I went, "Oh man, I think I think Duke's gonna fucking love that move." <laughs> oh, he probably jumped out of his seat watching that. Guy goes up to the top rope, nothing, sidesteps it, and elbow drops him. I had to watch it twice. Did you? I, I figured you might watch it twice. <laughs> I figured you might put that one in your hold, uh, what do you call the spank bank? <laughs> <laughs> it is secured in the spank bank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. And then it, God, it was not too long after this, I think IRS grabs. He ends up getting Razor in a. I think it's just a rear chin lock. Lots and he's of laying down. in this thing. Yeah, and he's just kind of laying on top of him, and then he puts his he puts his legs up on the second rope, and it's it is it's just you know it's standard rest hold, but a chin lock is it, it can be a devastating maneuver as well if you think about it. Uh, but at that point, Jr. makes 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 a comment that both men perspiring heavily. He said, "Both men perspiring heavily here." <laughs> that's that's not a good Jr. <laughs> But then the camera kind of zooms in, and it looks it looks like IRS. If you were just going from like his eyebrow down, it looks like he's standing in the shower because you know, <laughs> the sweat is just rolling off him. Which I thought was weird because when they cut to the audience, the majority of this uh, this this event, a lot of them are wearing long sleeves or jackets, and there's IRS in short sleeves. And he's losing twenty six pounds just sweating out of He's like he's in a he's in a sauna in this mother. I mean, yeah, we're talking January. It's cold out. They're inside. <laughs> it is cold out, but it's inside. I suppose. I suppose. So there was a lot of perspiration in that ring. There was. He was, there, he was there, abso- there absolutely was. 
So after IRS delivers this devastating chin lock for a while, Razor makes a comeback, and he hits a it's a, it's a pretty sweet looking fall away slam, vintage vintage Razor Ramon there. It was a good Razor Ramon. So the ref gets knocked out, at which point the briefcase makes its appearance. And Razor gets a hold of the thing and he clocks IRS with it, has him down for has him down for the count, but the ref's out. What are you gonna do? <laughs> I don't know. Earl Hebner certainly wasn't running down. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> what a dick. So Shawn Michaels makes an appearance shortly after this. He comes out, he gives he gives Razor the what for with his Intercontinental Championship. Knocking him out, and for a brief, brief couple of minutes, uh, we have a new Intercontinental Champion. That whole exchange bothered me. The whole thing. Razor hits him with the briefcase, covers him. Obviously, no, no count because the official is <laughs> the official's fucking dead. That guy didn't move. He went down, and it was it was over for him. And he went for the we went for the belly to back off the second rope. Looked great. Mm-hmm. Got up. Went for the Razor's Edge. Then Michaels comes down. The camera was placed perfectly too, because all just out of nowhere, Michaels comes out from behind him. It was, it was really well done. Hits him with the Intercontinental Title. Razor goes down. IRS gets on top. Referee comes to counts the three. Then Earl comes down, and Earl convinces the other referee, like, "Hey, wait, isn't this fishy? There's two belts. There's two, but there shouldn't be two belts." Yeah, I was. I was confused. I, Michaels comes down, hits him with the belt, and then forgets the belt. Right, right. Forget forgets the belt. Michaels runs off, and then as IRS is celebrating his Intercontinental Title victory, he goes over to the second rope. Razor comes over, gives him the Razor's Edge, count or pins him, and then <laughs> that's it's, not fair. The, the match never restarted. It was it. Uh, Razor really, I don't know. It was, it was really. It was pitted in his favor at that at that point. Nobody said anything when Razor hit IRS with the damn briefcase. No, it was it was like the Hulkster winning the title almost at WrestleMania nine. Yeah, a little I mean, bit. Uh, okay, I can see your, I can see, I can see how you're comparing them in a certain sense. At the end of the I day, guess. it was it was probably the right call, though. I mean, Razor, one of the great Intercontinental Champions, Shyster. Even though McMahon lets us know a few times, he's one of the true great technicians. No, yes. never, never really a, never really a belt guy. He did hold the tag team championship on three different occasions, but not so much in the singles department. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess when you got. All the referees in your back pocket. It's uh, it's pretty easy to uh, to retain your title. Yeah, he bribed him with some of his gold. He must have, but that gold was supposed to be in IRS's briefcase as well. See the whole thing. There's a lot of holes in this story. I agree. So this will inevitably set up uh, one of the highlights from the next match or next episode that we have between Michaels and Ramon to crown the true Intercontinental Champion because Michaels actually never lost the championship. 
And Ramon, I believe, won a tournament or something to gain the title because Michaels wasn't defending it enough or something like that. Uh, there was a, a battle royal. And at the end of the battle royal, I think it was Rick Martel and Razor Ramon, and they had a match on Raw where Razor won the won the title at that point. I believe the reason why the title was up, Sean didn't defend it, but I think that was another one of those situations where Sean was maybe not being the best employee for the company. Mm. So I think that's how that that's how that that got set up, unfortunately. Next up, we have the World Championship match. Only, what, we got four matches on this card. Yeah, not. I mean, it wasn't a very, wasn't a very large card. But usually, you get that with the Rumble, though, because the Rumble, the Rumble's going to take up the bulk of your time, and That's you still true. have to have your championship match. And yeah, I mean, you obviously have to have Tatanka and Bam and the Hart Brothers. That that whole segment. Uh, from start to finish, if you start from their promo to when Bret Hart finally gets pushed back through the back through the, the curtain was probably 30, 35 minutes. So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this this matchup has been brewing for a while. We get a video package of the taker doing dead man type things, really spooking, <laughs> spooking the champion. Was he? Was he doing dead man type things? He was talking about he had a New Year's resolution. And he built like a casket for the holidays for Yoko Zuna. And he even goes, he goes, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> what are you doing, Taker? Oh, I don't mean Taker doing fucking Santa Claus impressions. That was ridiculous. Was like, and I have a New Year's resolution. <laughs> Fucking don't, man. Don't have a New Year's resolution. That's, certainly don't give me a ho, ho, ho. The only ho, ho, ho that I want to hear in the World Wrestling Federation is from Axon Jim Duggan. That's it. <laughs> Maybe the Godfather. Well, yeah. I mean, we're not there yet, but yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you laugh at all when you heard that? Especially his delivery? Like, you yeah, know, it was... Santa Claus... Santa Claus delivery is, is always ho ho ho, right? Ho ho ho. That's is that pretty right? That's a, right, a right. That's, that's accurate. Yeah, it's certainly not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not Santa Claus. No, it's not. Oh, <laughs> a lot of weird stuff going on with the Undertaker during this time. Yeah, yeah, it certainly yeah, is. Most of his career, actually, he was. He, he had a one-of-a-kind run, that's for sure. Yeah, he certainly did. He certainly did. I'm glad that they made the they made the they made the, the casket. It was I don't know. I never got into those build like I'm building the casket like, promos or, or vignettes, however, whatever you want to call them. It's all about mind games, man. I never got into it. It wasn't it wasn't for me. Like he's out in that 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 shack. And Paul Bearer is there, and he's building. Like, why don't you do Undertaker? So Undertaker is a job, correct? Is that is that what it would be? It would be a job. Buries the dead. Okay, but it, does it also construct a vehicle for the, the dead? I bet there's there's some guys who do both. That do both. I don't, I don't know if it's part of the job description or not. Okay, 
Because that's the part that always throws me off. Because there's been numerous times where they've shown him building a casket, and I just can't get I can't get too pumped about it. So and Paul Bear, good job. <laughs> Paul Bear on the the on the buggy with the casket on the back of it, and he's I forget exactly what he says, but then he grabs like the end of the buggy whip and he like wiggles it towards the camera. <laughs> It was really yeah, that. That kind of I don't know. I didn't like. I didn't care for that. Like, what are you, what are you doing, Paul Barry? You're trying to seduce me with the end of your buggy whip? Fucking no. Didn't work on you. Not on me, man. I don't. Did you remember that? I remember that. I kind of come to expect these types of things, from Paul Bear. Yeah, and then he pulls away, and then Taker's right behind the the casket and the buggy. That was kind of a cool shot, but. That whole vignette, I don't know, man. It was uh, uh, not not for me. Not for me. So this is a no disqualification match. The This is actually a pretty exciting match um, between the the two big men. They were, you know, Taker, probably tallest guy around at this point. Yokozuna's biggest guy around at this point. Both of them move around fantastically. Jim Cornette's and Ruby Red Slippers. That, that too, that too. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. That's, that's my first note in this match. Was they come down and Jim Cornette sees wearing ruby red slippers? I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, the fr- first note I got here is Undertaker goes to town with a couple of different chairs. So yeah, it, Taker it, gets the control early and then uh, chair shot. Because he has the, the steel chair first. He gets and the he steel gets chair the, shots. And, he the and then he takes that, that poor son of a bitch. There's two chairs, right? Two chairs. There is one empty chair, plastic chair, that is closer to him. And he grabs the poor sack of shit that's sitting in the other plastic chair. That one, the occupied plastic chair. He grabs him. He throws him the fuck out of the chair to grab the one that he's sitting in. Why? Why do you rip the... Take the one that's empty. Don't take the one that the guy's sitting in. It was closer. It was easier to do. That was the chair he was looking for. All right. I, I just, I didn't. That was, that was the tool for the job, I guess. Yeah. Just take the one right in front of you. Path of least resistance, Undertaker. And next note I got on this, um, you know, I mentioned I really do like, you know, these guys flying around the ring, clothes mm-hmm. lines, suplexes. All that stuff, but there's a really shitty looking choke slam. Yeah, <laughs> all five minutes there is. Minutes. Might have been. Yeah, because the there's there's there was bad the ones. There was the he tries to. There's a really bad attempt at getting Taker in the the casket and closing the the close the lid on the casket, and Taker's head is still out of the casket. His head is out of the casket. Yokozuna tries to close the casket. Obviously, no dice. Taker comes back, fights back, and then he gets him in that that miserable choke slam. I think uh, Yoko essentially just took a back just took a back bump into, instead of actually taking the. Well, Yoko probably doesn't have a giant vertical that he can use on that choke slam either, so that's that's probably the, the shortfall there. But yeah, it, you're absolutely right. It was one of the worst the worst choke slams I can ever remember seeing. And then I'm going to ask you to guess what my next note is because I don't think even if I if I if 
I offered you all the money in the world and 17 blowjobs dipped in cherry, you would ever be able to guess what my, my next note is. Next note? Yeah. That's a pretty hefty wager. Yeah, I know. Okay. I mean, well, Crush comes out. Just prior to Crush coming out? Prior to Crush. Uh, you got me. I don't know. Do you think it would have worked to have Yokozuna and El Gigante in a tag team? <laughs> Perhaps. Right? Could it maybe could have worked because that's those are those would have been the two biggest guys in the company, and you got El Gigante who's you know twenty five feet tall. You got Yokozuna who's twenty five feet wide. You got the the immovable force and the the irresistible object. Wait, no, immovable object and the irresistible force. Put them together, let them be tag team champions forever. What do you think? I mean, they couldn't beat the heavenly bodies, but outside of that, they, they could probably have their, their run of a tag team division. That's an intriguing team. It is an intriguing team. That's That was my note. I wrote that after I saw that horrible choke slam, I had to get my mind off of it. So I tried to think of other tag team partners that could have worked for Yokozuna. Outside, obviously, he tagged with Owen. Uh, and Rob, obviously, I was this, you know, WrestleMania 9 to WrestleMania 10, we had. Gigante at uh, WrestleMania Nine went right back to him, and I thought, "Boy, that maybe that would have been the thing. Maybe that would have been the ticket. That would have been something. That would have been a very unique team. Yeah, perhaps but, indestructible. Yeah, perhaps. perhaps missed opportunity, I think. But you know, back to the the match at hand. The crush does come out, and shit shit starts hitting the fan pretty quick. So. Crush comes out, Taker fights him off. Then we get Kabuki and Tenaru. Mm-hmm. They get they get the double clothesline from me and Mark. And we're just getting started here, folks. <laughs> Bam Bam Bigelow straight uh, straight off of his loss to the Native American, the next guy into the fray. He gets in there. He gets him some. At this point, Yokozuna is taking a nap in the casket. <laughs> he was out. He's out. So uh, Fuji's fucking around, and he steals the urn from Paul Bear. And Paul Bear, he, he wasn't too happy about that. So he, you know, he, he gets the urn back, and he cold cocks Cornet and Fuji with the urn. Gets the Undertaker going again. And then we get, who do we got next? We got Adam Bomb. He, he gets in there, and then he gets the business. Then we got Double J, who takes a <laughs> takes a knuckle sandwich off the top rope for nothing. <laughs> so now the the taker has a bucket at this point. I don't know where this bucket came from. That's the ceremonial salt bucket. Oh right, right. And just in time for that, we got Fatu and Samu in there to get them themselves some. <laughs> and he's still fighting everybody off. We're up to. We're up to eight or nine guys now in the ring and one guy in the box. And then we get Diesel. He shows, he shows up and the gang gets to Diesel and the rest of the guys. They finally get the Undertaker into the coffin, but he's not done yet. <laughs> Somebody wakes up Yokozuna. 
<laughs> Yoko's Luna gets out of the box and he clobbers Paul and takes the urn. Then the urn takes a tumble and begins to emit some green smoke. And meantime, Taker's in the ring. Finally, the numbers game's gotten the best of him. He's getting the shit beaten out of him by every heel in the company at that time. <laughs> and then he loses. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> if you if you look at all the guys that were there to destruct The Undertaker, it reminded me of the alliance to end Hulkamania because it was it was everybody. It was you everybody. have Crush, Kabuki, Tenru, Bam, Bomb, Jarrett, both the Head Shrinkers, and Appa, and Diesel. You also have Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette on the outside. And Taker is still coming back and still fighting back. And while I was watching it with all those guys, everybody coming after the Undertaker, there's not one motherfucker at the back that was like, oh, I wonder if he needs help. <laughs> Doink wasn't back there being like, oh, man, I got I got that real gripe with, with Bam. Maybe I'll go out there. Randy, who hates Crush, rightfully so, he's not coming out there to do some. There's not one guy in the back that goes, well, boy, that's that's ten wrestlers, three managers, and that's a lot of green smoke coming out of that urn. Maybe I could go lend a hand. Nobody, nobody does shit. Oh. And and they put him in his box and yoke yoke with the wind, man. Hard fought win for Yokozuna. Not really. Not really. I mean. It's a hard-fought loss for the Undertaker. Hard-fought loss for the Undertaker, for sure. Uh, an ass-kicking like like few we've seen, really. Just got the business from everybody. Yeah, absolutely yeah. everybody. So, Taker's getting carted off by everybody. They're pushing him back. I think one of the head shrinkers is on top of the casket to make sure he doesn't get out. Yeah, when they very first closed the lid... Uh, I think it was uh, Fatu jumps on top of it. But while they're getting him into the in the sequence where they're putting Taker into the, the casket, the, the final time there, you see Jeff Jarrett like he was directing traffic. He's like, come on, everybody. Come on. He's like getting yeah. everybody in line. Like, hey. he, and he's the one that makes the least sense in that entire group to be out there. Right. Jeff, so Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett directing traffic, which was the oddest fucking thing because he's the one guy... When you look at all these motherfuckers down there, he's the guy that makes the least amount of sense to be down there. And then to also be like trying to be team captain, directing everybody to put Taker in the coffin. And then obviously they close the coffin and then his fat two jumps on top of it and they start pushing him back. And this is something that I remember hating and watching it this time through. I think I might have liked it a little bit. Not a lot. But maybe a little bit is the Undertaker's ascent. <laughs> I remember the first time I seen this. I'm, you know, seven, eight years old. Didn't know what the hell was going on. You know, now we're 25, 30 years later, still don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> well, well, that green, that mysterious green smoke starts pouring out of the coffin. And then he is up on the you know, the screen, and he cuts this promo where the the, the Undertaker lives in the, the souls of the every man or humanity. It was it was a pretty deep 
promo is a weirder one, but then he essentially just goes on to say that you know, he won't rest in peace. And then he ascends. He goes up mm-hmm. and up and up. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It was one of those things where, again, I I remember not liking it before, and then this time watching it, I, I, I liked it a little bit. So I guess ultimately probably just take it and leave it. Yeah, I mean it was it was all right. I guess it, it was it was a big old clusterfuck of just ass kicking basically. But and then Paul's got the Paul's got the urn again, and he's raising it to try and get the the audience behind him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. It was he just keeps on raising it to the crowd. Like everybody's going to go nuts for him raising the urn to the crowd. Now that motherfucker just had green smoke pouring out of it everywhere in the ring, and then the casket just had green smoke pouring out of it everywhere. If I'm a fan, I don't want to be near that man. Get myself a get myself a horny demon chasing my ass home. I don't need that. No. Yeah, I'd, I'd stay away from that. Any anything that's got green smoke coming out of it. Have you ever seen green smoke come out of anything? No, just just the urn and the uh, the casket then. That's it. All right, that makes sense. No, it fucking doesn't. Uh, <laughs> so that, that that wraps up, you know, Taker in this this instance, I guess. He will not rest in peace. Oh, the rebirth. He said there's going to be a rebirth of the Undertaker. That was part of it too. So he must have had must have had some time off. Yeah, I think that's what the deal was. Is he wanted some time off, and you know, what better way to has to get some time off than to to literally kill the character. Right. For a rebirth though. Right, for the rebirth. Right. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be back. It's gonna be good. Then we get the Royal Rumble the, the Royal Rumble, those like five to ten second clips of people declaring they're gonna win the Royal Rumble. This event I think is where it really fell off. Because in years past those little quick cut promos from everybody in the Royal Rumble were always wonderful. This year they they, they kind of sucked. Like Randy came out first and he said he was going to crush crush and Doink came out and Doink was going to was going to Doink Dink. I don't remember exactly what he said. Uh, I, they weren't very good and then they finished with Lex Luger. Oh my god. And his sucked. <laughs> it's bad. I wrote Lex Luger's the most boring character ever. I, I wrote down Luger porno sucks. And what I meant to write down was promo, but I wrote porno. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how do you want to cover the, the I mean, this, this rumble? I mean, it was, I have everybody written down with their, their entrance, what I thought of them, and when they got eliminated and by who. That's how I took notice. I don't know how you you followed it. I I just I just jotted down the the high spots. I don't got every competitor covered, but this will be interesting. We have we have done a rumble before, so. yeah. So I mean, it starts off with Scott and Samu, and Alpha is is dragging Samu to the ring by the hair, which I thought was was pretty far out. Rick Rick is the third man in. And as as the the clock the Casio clock counts uh, counts down to zero, and Rick starts walking down, he's trying to put his headgear together, and 
Scott is on the verge of being eliminated, and he is just strolling. He's not, he doesn't pick up his pace at all. He's just kind of strolling, and I understand every man for himself, but don't you think if you have got a brother and you're in a tag team, don't you think you count on that guy? Maybe you want He's, to keep him in the ring? He should have had his shit together before he was walking out to the ring. He should, well, he should right? have, yes, but he, he did not. He, he was not, he was, he was ill-prepared. And then we got one of the best the best spots in the entire match. They they came in succession, and that is Samu hanging, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then he gets eliminated as, as Quang is coming in, and then Quang miss Rick. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a beautiful miss. It was. It was. Quang, I believe, is Savio Vega. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I guess they they developed the Quang character because they didn't have any Chinese characters. Really? I believe so, yeah. I think that's what your buddy Bruce said. Anyway, Savio Vega, he's uh, he, he would end up sticking around for the rest of the decade, basically, as just kind of a mid-card guy. But in this I case... Like, uh, Savio. In this case, he's Quang with the mist. The mist always and- works. The mist always works, and it's always a fun spot. And it's a, it's a, I really enjoy the mist. And at one point, they showed the camera on Rick's face, and his face looked like somebody just took a paintbrush and just brushed it down, and just all green. And he never recovered. He never recovered from that mist. And then I was that after that we have uh, Owen comes down at five, feeling good. He, yeah, he gets he gets a chorus of booze. Right, which is, I mean, rightfully so. That's and what you're looking for. Bart comes down at six. At this point, we get Vince McMahon says, there's something going on in the back, and we're going to send it to the back. Something's going on in the back, and they don't go he to d- the back. Didn't send it to the back, no. Didn't send it to the back, but something is going on in the back. And at seven is when Diesel comes in, and it's it, everybody's. I mean, Owen eliminates, I think, Rick. Yeah, Owen eliminates Rick, and then Diesel just comes down and clears house. It, it's he comes in, he's taking shots on everybody, and this is, I think this that's maybe the most memorable part of this rumble when people look back on it is just that this is what kind of launches Diesel into being a bigger star because uh, he does. He comes down and and he eliminates Scott, he eliminates Quang, he eliminates Owen. Bart comes down. Bart gets eliminated. Backlund comes down. How good did Bob Bob, Bob Backlund look like he was going to put Diesel over the top rope? <laughs> he looked like he even he was a man on a mission. He knew what he was knew what he was trying to do. He went to shoot the leg, and Ted DiBiase goes, "What is he doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and he did. He almost took he almost took Diesel over the top rope until Diesel just. Changed his mind. Uh, Backlund went out, and then uh, was it Billy comes down at nine. And Billy looked good. He had some nice, uh, had some nice punches. He was in the ring for all of about like, 10, 12 seconds. <laughs> no, and nobody slides into the ring like Billy Gunn. No, nobody ever will either. <laughs> and he's doing it in jeans. He's doing it in jeans. He's got a great slide. I and then, bet. I bet he, if, if he put his mind to it, he could probably slide underneath the ropes, go all the way across the ring, and end up underneath the ropes on the other side. That would be a hell of an entrance. He should he should incorporate that. 
just just smooth. I was just gonna say, yeah, we got Diesel going to town on everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, he ends up taking out about seven guys, I think total. Uh, this is the first time I believe that we've had a guy do this in a rumble, so this was really cool. Um, undoubtedly, this was the most guys that one guy had taken out up to this point in a rumble match. Yeah, he's he's really just dominating, dominating everybody. It's the first time in the rumble match to this point that that there was anybody that was just kind of waiting on more people to come in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which which really worked out. It worked out pretty well, and the crowd, I think initially they weren't too thrilled with what he was doing, but then after, I think probably after the Virgil elimination, I think that's when the crowd kind of went, well, this is actually this is actually something's happening here. Something's pretty cool. Virgil came in, and I think he stiffed Diesel somewhere along the line there because Diesel just kind of flipped a switch in their exchange and he grabbed him, turned him around and he gave him a couple of real snug ones and then dumped his ass out. And then they, they kind of go up close onto uh, diesel's face and he's got, he's got a little blood around his lips. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing that was Virgil might've goofed and uh, diesel took exception to it. So diesel did participate at the survivor series, but this might've been his first sort of, I mean, he was getting cheers. You know, this kind of yeah. this kind of um, it's definitely elevated him. Um, he he had a really quick ascension up once he once he really latched onto his character. You know, um, I think within a year's time here from the Rumble, he had won every championship. Yeah. So this is kind of the beginning of kind of the beginning of of his quick rise to the top there. Yeah, and to me at least it makes perfect sense because Hogan is gone. You got he's a he's a big guy. He's a good looking guy. He can talk. He's intimidating presence. I mean, some of the stuff that he did in this Rumble. I mean, even when when back when almost had him out, he was actually like bending backwards over the top rope in a way that. don't ever remember seeing him move. So obviously, you know, he could move. He was he was doing very well. Virgil, yeah, Virgil got he got worked pretty pretty well. But then at number eleven, at number eleven, baby, the macho macho the, mach, the macho man came running down, and that kind of started the started the slower slower portion of of the match because he didn't. He didn't easily handle handle much. Yeah, that sure. really that really cooled down that diesel engine for sure. Uh, yeah, it was around this time that we actually did get set to the back, <laughs> and Kabuki and Tenaru were doing a number on Luger with the yeah with cleaning supplies. Yeah, they actually came. They cut to that shot between Billy and Virgil. But after Billy's elimination and Virgil coming down is when they cut back to Tenaru and Kabuki beating the, the hell out of Luger in the back, which thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. And then at one point, Kabuki actually, not Kabuki, Tenaru. Tenaru takes like this weird, I don't know if it was a, a deck broom or a garage brush or what, and he just hits it against the lockers for no apparent reason. <laughs> and then he throws it down, and as he's walking past the WWE official, he kind of half cracks smiles. <laughs> It was pretty good, and then Vince is convinced that Luger's not going to make it anymore. 
he does tend to force stories, you know, and especially in hindsight, knowing what the result is, you know, um, there's no way that Luger's going to make it out. There's no way that the hitman's going to make it out, let alone win. Neither mm-hmm. of them have a chance, you know, and Vince, right. let, Vince lets us know this multiple times. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, what was it? It is, it's, it's a few selections later on, uh, when a guy doesn't come out and that, that sold as, you know, that was supposed to be, that was supposed to be Bret Hart, but you know, a guy can't walk. So that's yeah, that bad. was, I mean, that was a ways later because that Randy comes down. Then you got Jarrett comes down. Jarrett actually works over Randy pretty good. And then crush comes down and then you get, you end up with doink coming down and at, at that juncture in the match, it's just crush and, and diesel in the ring. When Doink comes down, the two big men are working each other over, and this is one of the highlights for me, at least, in this match. Is Doink gets in the ring, Crush and Diesel are working each other over the corner, and Doink just Doink just kind of leans against the the corner post and keeps on laughing and pointing and laughing and pointing, and then all of a sudden the, the two big men realize what the hell's going on, and they decide not. They they decide to have a little truce and form their own little alliance against Doink, and they start walking over, and then Doink shoot some unknown substance out of the sunflower into Diesel's face and then into Crush's face. And then he stomps on the foot of Diesel. It was like classic clown fighting techniques, which I thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Bam comes out, and that's that's not good for anybody. <laughs> no. um, Double J is still in there at this point, and McMahon makes a remark about, you know, Double J's, he, the only reason he's here basically is to his, advance his career in country music, which I never, <laughs> I, I never really got that whole shtick, but. Right, that doesn't make any sense at all. That'd be like, <laughs> that'd be like me, that'd be like me going to a restaurant and be like, hey, I, I'd really like to, to work in your, your kitchen here because I really want to advance my, my career in NASCAR. <laughs> It just doesn't fucking yeah, make same, sense. Yeah, same type of rationale. Doesn't really yeah. make sense. Um, at, at 15, Bam Bam comes down, and we get, I think, maybe the one line that Vince said all night that I really I really got a, got a kick out of, and that was, he says, the ring's filling up with beef now. <laughs> Bam Bam comes down with Diesel and Crush and Doink in the ring, and now the ring is really filling up with beef. Yep, business is picking up in there. And then, who is it? Doink gets eliminated, and then Crush and Diesel both start wailing away on Bam. And then at 16, Mabel comes down, and then DiBiase says, now serious beef filling up the ring. <laughs> Taking it up a notch. With, with... Between 15 and 16, I think they say filling and beef probably seven times. I believe, uh, is it? I don't have them all written down in order, but I think Michaels joins the fray around this time. Yeah, right after uh, Thurman Sparky. Sparky plug. plug yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's yeah. another guy who's, who's using his his career in wrestling to <laughs> to advance his career <laughs> somewhere else. NASCAR. Yeah, he had a good showing in this though. He did. He did. Well, Thurman Sparky plug. I thought had a nice nice show again, and HBK comes out at eighteen. And I think it was around this time that Diesel, uh, they, they had the whole gang in there ganging up on Diesel, and Michaels delivered a delivered a little extra push in the form of a kick to this group of people that got got Diesel out of the match. Yeah. 
So yeah. I think Dibiase does a little bit of foreshadowing there. It says, I think long term that's going to be a bad move by Shawn Michaels. Wait till Diesel sees the footage. Yeah. So, so that was at 19. 19, Mo comes down, and Mo is another guy that had a pretty damn good showing in this. If you were to say, like, two guys on the list of guys that participated in this Rumble that had good showings that you thought would have had shit showings, Sparky Plug and Mo, I think, were the two guys that, that shocked the hell out of me. I didn't really notice Mo too much, but he must have stuck around a little bit, huh? Yeah, he, he was in there. Well, he was. He came in at 19, and he was eliminated when, I mean, because for a while there after Diesel was eliminated, like nobody was being eliminated. Uh, you had the Hammer come down at 20, and then Tatanka at 21, Kabuki at 22, Luger at 23, Tenru at 24, and then the magical mystery slot that everybody thought was Bret Hart uh, at 25. And that uh, Brett Brett didn't make it. They were convinced Brett Brett didn't make it. And Martel comes out at twenty six, and then Brett comes out at twenty seven. And then we got to really figure out who the hell didn't make it to the Royal Rumble. We yeah. later find out that uh, Bastion Booger didn't did, didn't make it to the Royal Rumble. That's a shame, man. Yeah, that would that maybe he, he should. He, I bet if he would have known that there was so much beef in the ring, Bastion would have been there. Man, Bastion was my pick. Was he your pick <laughs> going in? Booger was my pick. There it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's at five two at twenty eight? Marty at twenty nine, and Bomb at thirty. Yeah, Janetti so, comes in there, and he and Michaels just go to town on each other, just throwing the fisticuffs. Really great exchange. Yeah, and Tenru yeah. almost fucked the whole thing up. What Tenru do? So there, at one point, there was an exchange uh, going into, because they were just kind of going at each other, going at each other, and then Tenru walks in the way, and I'm pretty sure what the spot was going to be was Marty ducking a sweet chin music and then uh, delivering one of his own. But Tenru gets in the way, and then Marty ducks nothing. <laughs> nothing, because <laughs> Sean doesn't deliver it, because Tenru's standing, he's just standing in the fucking way <laughs> for no apparent reason, so... Mm. Uh, that was, I mean, those, those are your, those are your, con, your combatants. So it's everybody. Mm -hmm. Immediately when Adam bomb walks out, McMahon lets us know Adam bomb is going to win the Royal rumble. Didn't even think about it. He didn't think about it. He just knew he was positive mm -hmm. and he didn't last too damn long. No, no. Pretty disappointing showing for a number 30 entrant. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you look at some of the guys that were in it too, like Greg Hammer. Hammer was one of those guys that was usually an Iron Man in the in the Royal Rumble. Rick Martel, he was an Iron Man in the Royal Rumble. Back they didn't really, yeah, Backlund obviously definitely a, a, one of the Iron Men of the Rumble. You didn't have a guy really stand out as the guy that went the distance in this Royal Rumble match. If you were going to force a pick as the guy that really. You know, took it to the limit and stayed in there as, as long as, or the long, I don't know who stayed in there the longest, now that I think about it. I'd say Double J or Michaels, probably. See, and I, but, you're probably right. Michaels probably did end up staying in there the longest. I don't know. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. Even at that, though, it was only probably 20 minutes, half hour, maybe. 
Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't have that that long. I mean, when it started, they always had that guy that went, you know, 40 minutes or wh- however it was and, and really, really pushed the pace. So that was, that was kind of disappointing in this match, this Rumble match itself. But when guys started flying out, because they let the ring fill. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, it was like they flipped the switch and guys just started flying out. I mean, left and right, they were gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happened on a few occasions. And I don't know, it, it it was not the worst rumble I've seen. It was a pretty enjoyable rumble. Really? Didn't particularly care for the ending. Okay. There, it wasn't... There's been worse rumbles. There has? Yes. Okay, which... So, I'm a, okay, are you looking at just the Royal Rumble match? Yes. Okay. What one comes to mind as being worse than this one? It's sort of a completely different era, and they, they when they fucked with the formula and put 40 guys in there, I didn't care for that. Okay. Um, the first one I didn't think was a great Rumble match, but that was the first one, so I suppose it gets a pass. Okay. Um. I don't like 95. It was too short. Okay. It was like letting a guy in every 30 seconds. It was, yeah, it was every 30 seconds in 95. So those are a couple huh. that come to mind. Gotcha. All right. You, hmm. you didn't care for it, huh? No, I mean, when we when we wrap, I guess I'll give you all my how I felt about the rumble and the car. Right, itself. we haven't even, haven't even got to the end of this thing. So we got right, right. Final Four, we got we got Lex Luger, we got Bret Hart, those guys against all the odds are still in there. Amazing they're still standing. And, uh, and Bret especially. Who else we got in there? We got Fatu and... And Michaels. Michaels, right. Yeah. Not a bad Final Four. You Not know. a bad Final Four. What? So I don't like when they have a tag team wrestler in the Final Four especially when he's in a tag team because the final four is supposed to be kind of like a spot, you know, or maybe somebody newer is kind of advancing a little bit. It's, it's the final four. It's, it's pretty impactful in Royal Rumble and they got fought too. I mean, look what he did though. He was around for the next 10, 12 years. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's I'll that. agree with you, but I, yeah. I, I understand where you're coming from though. It's like out of those four guys, you knew he wasn't going to win. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, maybe shit. Giving Sparky plug a break, have, having him be in there. I mean, that would have been something. Sparky plug would have been something that kind of came out uh, definitely out of left field. The guy that I thought of right away to make this Final Four better out of the guys that are in this Royal Rumble was Bob Backlund. You really love that Backlund this time, huh? This time around, yeah, yeah. I think I'm. I'm I think Bob Backlund's definitely growing on me a little bit. I never disliked him, but he's going to go on to do some some pretty big stuff in '94. So true. to to put him in that final four spot here at this Rumble, I think would have made it would have made a lot of sense. Like you look at the other guys, Kabuki. Obviously, you're not going to put him in your final four. You're not going to put the Hammer Tenru in your final four. Doink, no. Mabel, maybe, but it's hard for a guy to, I mean, if he'll be in the final four if he comes out, you know, 30, but prior to that, probably not going to make it there. So the guy that stuck out to me was, was definitely, and even having Owen come out later and Owen be part of that final four, I thought would have probably been a better call. 
than having Fatu in that spot. But the way that the way that it shook out with those four in the final four, it worked out really well. Mm. I just thought there was somebody better for that spot than Fatu. So the the big you got you got anything before we get to the big finish? Uh the the way that Michaels and Fatu were eliminated, I thought was pretty good. Uh, they both got eliminated kind of at the same time with that thing they reversed the Irish whips and I think Luger eliminated <sighs> Did just sneeze blow my goddamn brain out of my nose. Uh, I think Luger ended up eliminating Michaels and Hart eliminated Fatu. It was kind of a it was kind of cool little spot there. And then they went right into the the finish between Brett and Luger. Yeah, Brett Luger, they're they're you know battling. It does really kind of go right into it. They both end up toppling over the top rope, and a great job on the camera work because there's nowhere no way to see who touched the ground first. Right. Um, so they're both eliminated at the same time, and then it's just kind of a uh, just kind of a a mess. This is like the third or fourth really, mess of this show. <laughs> right. Really, really good, really good spot during that. If you're paying attention up to the, when they, the camera view, obviously you can't see whose feet hit the floor. Mm-hmm. But if you watch in the top part of your, of your picture, you see Michaels was actually walking towards the way they both eliminated themselves. And he quick turned the other way. So it was that he didn't want to be in that shot or didn't want to be part of it or didn't want to. It wasn't his spot to be in. And I thought that was really, I thought it was really neat of him to make sure that he got the fuck out of the way hmm. when that happened. It was just, it was one of those really subtle things that I like to pick up on. I like to see. And so when he, when the, both of them started going over the top rope, and then you could see it multiple times in the replay, Michaels just turns his head and kind of tries to get out of, out of the way as, as quick as possible and out of the camera shot. So it was kind of cool. Hmm. Classy move by, by Mr. Heartbreak. Very much. If you were to bet, say they had a camera right on him, who do you think actually hit the floor first? I'm going to say Luger. Okay. And what leads you to that, that uh, conclusion? Because Bret Hart knows what he's doing. Yep, exactly. That was exactly what I was going to say, too. I would guess I would guess Luger, and I would guess because Brett's such a pro, his he would do everything the right way. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it's then it's <laughs> then we we play a game of who won the Royal Rumble. <laughs> this is an exhilarating segment that goes for about ten minutes. We get uh, we get everybody out there from the back. I think Tunny comes out. Yeah, Tunny does make an appearance. Um. <laughs> we have referees of all sorts. Uh, first, uh, who who is decla- it? Doesn't matter. Uh, Brett was declared winner. Luger was declared winner. Then they couldn't decide, and then finally the Fink announces that they both won. Yeah, that was that was kind of funny by Fink too because he he announces the the winner and he doesn't say a name and they just play the music and then they cut it and they say the winner and. And then they play the music of Brett's walking back into the ring. And then they're trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. Tony's coming down. Tony's talking to Fink. And Fink goes out and he goes, the winner of the 1994 Royal Rumble. And he kind of takes a big breath. And he kind of turns his head sideways in a, in a questioning manner. 
and then walks right back up to Tunny and you see Finko. Are you sure? Are you sure? And then he goes back and he announces that both of them have won. Both uh, both wrestlers, both Luger and, and Hart, kind of react poorly to being announced as co-winners. Mm-hmm. And I, it doesn't feel like the audience is very much into it. I thought it was a very, very poor finish for the show. It didn't... Both of them got the win. That's fine. Like I'm, I'm not against both of them getting the win, but drawing it out, and the way that it was, the way that it was drawn out, and announcing it so slowly, and then did did Brett win? Did Luger win? And obviously, the audience predominantly was pulling for Brett to be announced the winner. You could tell that they started chanting for Brett. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really do anything for Luger, obviously, but it just seemed like a really strange kind of a slow way to wrap up one of the bigger pay-per-views that you have every year. Right, right. And this was something totally new, having co-winners, and it brings both of these, you know, top babyface characters, brings both their stories, you know, full circle, I guess. So it does make sense on, it does make sense on paper why they, they went about it the way that they did. They both get a shot at, at the championship at WrestleMania 10. Yep. Brett's kind of spent the past year since WrestleMania 9 when we started this voyage just kicking ass, being the best, getting himself in a spot to, um, you know, be top of the hill again. And the uh, the formerly known as the Larcissist Lex Luger um, started his his you know, rebirth and journey slamming slamming Yokozuna on that on that ship. Yeah. And then he kind of blew his one title shot at SummerSlam by you know, winning by count count out. And then he got himself back in the rumble so he gets one more shot at Mania. So like in the grand arc of things it makes sense. I don't know how they could have really handled the ending any other way as far as just not being as like awkward, you know, because it, it is an awkward type of situation. Right. Yeah. That's a fair point. They don't have, there's probably not a handbook for what happens here. Uh, having both guys get eliminated at the same time. I do think it would have been better if when both guys get eliminated, there's obviously going to be, I wish both officials didn't just pick pick a guy. I wish they would have met. I wish Fink would have met. I wish Tony would have come down. I wish they would have not announced anybody. And after all of them meeting, just announcing co-winners. I didn't like it going back and forth and then announcing co-winners. But it is a good way to, like you say, it'll wrap up at, at WrestleMania 10, which will be the, the conclusion of our, our first series here. The It'll wrap everything back together. It'll wrap everything up again. And going from WrestleMania 9 to WrestleMania 10, watching that entire kind of story arc, having all three of them in you know title matches at WrestleMania 10 does kind of tie, tie it all together very nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So overall, Royal Rumble 94, as an event, in its entirety, how much do you love it? Because there's been a lot of events so far. 
And this this year of Duke and Rogue that you have been, you've been kind of down on. This is the best one so far. This is the best one so far, you think? Okay. Yep. All right. Um, what do you think? I don't think it's the best one so far. Uh, I don't. Because the, the bodies aren't involved? Well, that is one point that has to be made. Yes, the heavenly bodies aren't <laughs> on the card, and that is definitely the, whenever you when you show me the heavenly bodies and then you take them away from me, it's hard for me to bounce back from that. Mm. Right? It's it's it's. I feel like uh, I, I feel like you just took my dream girl away from me. Right? Is what I feel <laughs> like. So, what, what would you place? Uh, I'd say King of the Ring, maybe. Um, or you like the series? I I like the Survivor Series better than this, mm. and I don't remember liking this Rumble as little as I did. So, Bam and Tatanka, it's an okay match, right? We we were in agreement there. It's it's a nice, it's a short shot, it's a pretty good work match. Mm. Uh, it's not it's not bad. Mm-hmm. And then you move into you have. The Hearts and the Quebecers, not a not not a very good match. Very very, very sloppy. There was a lot of good spots, I think, as far as um as far as holds and you know the the Hearts kind of just showcasing their their skills. But it was a I, I'm kind of with you there as far as just a match as a whole goes. It mm-hmm. was just kind of a mess, right? IRS and Razor, again, not uh, not yeah. a great match. Uh, and then you have Taker and Yokozuna. I don't think anybody's going to argue that that wasn't a very good match. Right. And then you have the Rumble, which, and I don't know if it's because I've watched this one more recently than I've watched other, other Rumbles that people would kind of dub as being lower-ranked Rumbles. But this Rumble didn't do an awful lot for me watching it. Mm. Uh, it just didn't. It didn't grab me in any way. And I think I always like. I always like when they have a guy and they build a guy through the Rumble, which you see less and less and less every year. Uh, building, you know, building somebody up through the Rumble. Mm-hmm. So this Rumble itself, I wasn't. The match itself, I wasn't a very big fan of. There were spots in it that I liked, of course. Mm-hmm. And there was, but when when I. When I look at a rumble and somebody that 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 surprises me, their performance surprises me in the rumble, and I say it's Sparky Plug and Mo, that should tell you <laughs> how much I think of the rumble, right? You got a point. Yeah, yeah. So overall, it's it's not very high on my list as far as the these you know from WrestleMania nine to WrestleMania ten, and we only got one left, and that's WrestleMania ten. And I am I'm I'm gonna be putting this one a little bit further back than the other one. This has kind of been the case too with a lot of big card matches in the this year that we covered so far. Outside of the okay, let's even include the rumble match. There's five matches. Four of them and end in some sort of a clusterfuck. Yeah. Tag titles, intercontinental title, world title, and the rumble. <laughs> all, all, there's no like decisive uh, right. c- conclusion to them, I guess. And, you know, right. you know, there's been a couple of pay per views that we've watched that have been really tough for me to enjoy. And I always love the Rumble itself. Yep. yep. 
you know, and I, I did like the action that happened between um, Yokozuna and the Undertaker before the whole locker room got involved. It was yeah. just, just cool to see, you know, young Taker flying about like a cruiserweight at times, you know. You just, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that first match was good, right? It's the main event of superstars. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is hands down, definitely could have been the main event of, of, of superstars. It would have been a great, it, I would have really enjoyed seeing that match. Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. <laughs> right. But yeah, both the Intercontinental and the tag matches as matches were sloppy. They were decided by the referee, decided by Hebner, both of them. Yep. And yeah. the the Owen Hart turn and heel, uh, we talked about this before, and I think was probably the highlight of the whole event. Yeah, I think it, it certainly it certainly was. I can agree with that. And it's funny when you say it's the highlight of the event. And again, when we talked about this, the memorable spot of that was not the match itself. It was the aftermath of the match. So from from a pure like enjoying the wrestling standpoint of this card, I was I was not I was not a, a big fan. Now, I'll probably watch the Rumble again. Uh, but I don't think that I'll, I'll watch a lot of the other parts on this card. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. There's some shows that you watch that just c- kind of captivate you or, or you want to keep watching it. And this one honestly did take me several. I got through it a couple times, but it took me several, uh, you know, stints of falling asleep. Right, right. <laughs> so being able to get it's, it was not one of those. Uh, not one of those on the edge of your seat type of deals. And especially too, just the way that McMahon almost gives away the story. Um, that's yeah. Just, the commentary that's team wasn't nature. Yeah. That makes a big difference too. Yeah. The commentary team was not, was not for me. I didn't enjoy the commentary team. I took essentially no commentary notes, uh, which tells you how much I enjoyed the commentary team on this. Uh, but to, to I guess to, to look forward now, are you are you excited for the cap on this first run of the year up? Are you excited for WrestleMania ten? Oh yeah. WrestleMania ten was one of I think the first pay per view from this particular era that I ever saw. Meaning the first the first sort of post Hogan uh this was the first post Hogan WrestleMania. So as far as the guys who were on top of the card, a lot of them were kind of new to me at the time. And it's, it features, it features two of the, if not the best matches of the year. Um, so that tells you enough right there. And both of those were kind of built on well, Put together storylines, yeah. I guess. With now, when uh, was the when was the last time that you watched this WrestleMania? Ooh, it's been a while. Okay, and that's why I asked because I'm I'm very excited to, like I say, put the cap on this this first run of episodes between from WrestleMania nine to WrestleMania ten, and I look look back very very fondly on WrestleMania ten. In my memory, it is. It's one that I look back on with like excitement to watch again, mm-hmm. but it I have not watched it. I'm guessing probably twenty years. 
if not more. Uh, so I have not seen it in a very, very long time. And I'm very excited that we're going to be capping this first run of episodes with WrestleMania 10. It's something I can look back from being when I was younger, something that I really loved. But I wanted to get your, before we, we actually do cover it, to see if we can look back on it as fondly. If we look back at it as highly now, you know, as yeah. I, I'm sure it's been, I, I know it's been 20 or more years since I've watched WrestleMania 10. So I'm yeah. excited to see it, but I, I'm hoping that it still holds, it still holds that, uh, that near and dear to my heart when we do watch it again. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. And we'll hit you with our, with our recap of that show next week as we wrap up our first series of the year of Duke and Rogue a Jaded Wrestling production, and thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Good night, everybody.